the hell is this place? Well, settlers brought religion, religion brought fear, and that fear brought more use for this place. All sorts of rituals and gatherings, executions, baptisms happening here. It became a holy place of sorts. Weird, wild shit, man. everybody and welcome to the new episode of Fresh Cuts. This is Mike. Joining me as always is Mr. Venom. What is up, Venom? Greetings and salutations, redneck cultists. Yeah, I'm doing all right. Mike, how the hell are you doing? Doing well. It's uh I had to look at my calendar because it's a Thursday that we're recording on, so we're almost at the end of the week already, but uh doing well. Doing yeah, well. Nothing um, much new. <laughs> Yeah, listeners, just to let you guys know, the delay is on uh, my part this time. Unfortunately, Mrs. Venom had a little bit of a uh, um, pancreatitis issue uh, this past weekend, sending her to the hospital. She was sent home on Sunday, but then the very next day she had a little bit of a relapse, which, of course, Monday is our normal record night, so I was at the hospital for a second time in a week. Um, so yeah, unfortunately we had to delay the show and we had to delay the main show as well, which, you know, we'll talk about a little bit later, but yeah, um, unfortunately life happens and yeah, (laughs) obviously Mrs. Venom is going to be my priority. So unfortunately with her being under the weather, it kind of didn't leave me with much time to podcast over the last weekend. So apologies listeners, this one's on me. And I think I speak for most when I say perfectly acceptable. <laughs> yep. <laughs> All right. Well, that was the voice of our other host, Don and Ellie. How are you doing, Don? Yeah, what's going on? Always happy to be here. Well, we might put that to the challenge tonight, depending on what you thought of the movie. <laughs> uh, so for the second week in a row, it's pretty slim pickings. I mean, I... Overall, I, I, I would have probably said, like, just for entertainment value, there was an Argento doc, but we kind of shy away from doing documentaries on here, um, so we didn't go with that. Uh, there was, like, some other, like, uh, um, indie stuff, and but it was really more of, like, another week of, like, okay, we'll randomly pick something. So I uh, picked uh, The Burned Over District, and this one... It's another case of a Tubi movie, but not a Tubi original. So uh, let's go to IMDb for the synopsis. Uh, Nothing is as it seems in this original folklore tale based on historic events. Okay. A recently widowed alcoholic unwittingly clashes with a 19th century era cult who worship a dark force deep within the wooded hills of upstate New York. Well, that's a hell of a synopsis. Um... 
does it translate to the movie itself? I guess we're about to find out because we'll open up with our general thoughts on the Burned Over District with Venom. What did you think of this movie? Okay, well, I have to caveat this review by li- by reminding our listeners that I am a gigantic uh, Lovecraft fan. I love all Lovecraftian uh, film and literature, so I am a big fan. So I tend to be a little bit more judgmental of movies that have a love Lovecraftian tinge to them as they they really have to do it right. Uh, most recently with the suitable with suitable flesh from last year is a movie that I surprised a few people by not really liking very much because I felt it wasn't a um, loyal adaptation of the original story. But that's that's you know a story for another day. So again. We have here the Burned Over District, another attempt at Lovecraftian slash cosmic horror, and unfortunately, I can't re- I can't really report that this was much of a success. Um, unfortunately, this movie takes a very long time to get to anything. Nothing even remotely horror happens for the first. I think we get one jump scare for the first 30 minutes. And it's a rip-off jump scare because they literally ripped off one of the greatest jump scares of all time. Of course, the Exorcist 3 hospital hallway jump scare. And they literally duplicated it almost to a T in this one. And at first, I did kind of like it only because it reminded me of my favorite jump scare of all time. But then after I thought about it, I'm like, ah, that was just way, way too... like. Black Friday 20, or not Black Friday, Black Christmas 2019 did that same gag, and even they did it a little bit better. And I hated it when they did it back then, because I famously can't stand that movie. But anyway, back to the Burned Over District. First half, it's just a lot of character development, a lot of development of the the townspeople, um, the situation that the brother and sister are going through. It's just a lot of development, and it is very, very slow. Folks, I am a huge fan of slow burn films. I really am. Um, but this one was a little too slow, even for me. I mean, man, I, I, I look at stuff like St. Maud as one of the slowest movies out there before actually getting to the good stuff at the end. And... Even with this one, I just thought it wasn't very well done. Um, This is a very independent film, very low budget, very indie production. So, you know, you're not getting quality acting. You're not getting quality cinematography. You're not getting quality direction, editing, uh, score, (laughs) lighting. (laughs) Just not really getting a a whole lot here. This is a very guerrilla production, very independent. I would imagine micro budget is what we're working with on this one, but... Ultimately, when everything starts, when the shit starts to hit the fan in this movie, I think the movie would have already lost most of its audience. Now, obviously, we are podcasters, so we have to finish the movies that we decide that we're going to review. It would be irresponsible of me to finish, to, to, you know, stop a movie halfway through just because I hate it, because ultimately, I have to report on the entire film, so... This is definitely a movie I would have stopped watching after about a half hour because I was just dreadfully bored. Did not really care all that much about the protagonists in the film. They're not they're not unlikable people necessarily, but they don't really do a whole hell of a lot to endear themselves um, to the to the audience. So you know they're just kind of there. And then, like I said, about halfway through the movie, a little over the halfway point, probably closer to like the hour hour and ten minute mark. 
um, the movie takes a distinct turn, like where where it's solidly a cult film for the first hour plus, it suddenly turns into a revenge film. And the cult aspect is still there in the second half of it, especially with this ending. This ending is, you know, almost the ultimate cult ending, if you will. Um, but it, by the time we get to it, I was already so disengaged and just not very interested in where this was going. This movie is an hour and 45 minutes long. Not a terrible runtime, but when you literally have 30 to 40 minutes of just not much happening and you don't have, like, quality acting driving the story either, I mean, you know, you're, you're kind of looking at... You know, indie actors, which, you know, ultimately I have nothing against them. I know plenty. I know some of them personally. Um, but, you know, if a movie is going to be that slow, it's going to require great storytelling, great acting, great direction. And unfortunately, we don't really get that here. So that by the time we get to the gore and blood and the action in the last 20 to 30 minutes of the film, like I said, you're just kind of disinterested. It did pique my interest once you know, the kills started coming. I mean, you know, not counting the very first kill in the movie, but the first cultist kill in the movie, uh, what, you know, actually kind of woke me up. Literally, I was barely paying attention to the film, and then suddenly we get this great, you know, gunshot to the head, and it wakes me up, and suddenly it's like, oh, okay, this is an actual movie. And then for the rest of the movie from that point, it's just awesome revenge action. Um with a very head-scratching ending. I mean, I think the ending isn't all that confusing. It's confusing in the sense of the motivation of the director. Like, what, what, what exactly is the story that this guy is trying to tell? What is the story he's trying to tell about this town and about its people and what they believe? And I, I don't know. It just it left, it left me scratching my head. Again, not to say I didn't understand what was happening, but it was the eternal why. Like, why did I need to watch this? Why did this have to go in the direction that it went? Blah, blah, blah. So ultimately, yeah. Um, I haven't even barely spoken about the positives. There are There's some great practical effects in here. Lots of blood. Some good stabbings. Some good headshots. Some good um, throat slits. Things like that. So there is gore and blood to be had, and oh, and even one heart getting ripped out. Somebody got Kali Mod in this movie for for the Indiana Jones fans out there. I'm using Kali Ma as a verb. Go figure. But anyway, yeah, um, there is a lot to like about this movie, and sadly, this is probably my favorite movie of 2024. Even though I can't really give this an all-around positive review. I felt that the Lovecraftian elements were lazy. I, I, I'm sorry, filmmakers, but you can't just put a cult in your movie and then throw some purple lights in the sky and say, ooh, look, it's cosmic. No, there is more to that, I assure you. This movie wanted to be the void so fucking bad, and it failed miserably on almost every attempt. This movie is not the void. It is not Wicker Man. It's no no interesting cult movie that you've ever seen is really a good comparison to this movie. Maybe you've seen a couple of duller ones out there. So like I said, this is a this is a movie that's like a tale of two halves. The first half of the movie, very, very slow, very dull. It's going to be a chore to keep your interest and to keep your attention. But if you can make it to that third act and get to all that blood and gore, there is something there for the gore hounds. But if you're looking for a good story, yeah, th this movie is definitely not it. So 
I can't really give um, too much of a positive review to this one just because of the frustration I felt as I'm watching it. And even in the second half of the film, once the action really gets going, there's still character decisions that bug the shit out of me. Again, more weapon droppers. You guys, long-time listeners, know how much I fucking hate weapon droppers in horror movies, but we get them here again, and it's something that you have to deal with in an American movie. It sucks that I have to deal with it, but I have no choice, sadly. So, um, yeah, I, I kind of ran long there. So, overall, there's some positive things to this movie, mostly the kills and the practical effects, but that's about the only positive I can give the movie. By the time the movie is over, I don't care about any of the cultists, any of the protagonists. It's a movie that you're probably going to forget very soon after watching it. And again, folks, I am a Lovecraftian whore, if you will. I absolutely love HP's work and and all the writers that have written in the in the Cthulhu mythos since HP uh, departed this world. So, you know, I you would think I would you know kind of embrace this movie, but no, I'm sorry. This was just a very lazy attempt at Lovecraftian slash cosmic horror. With some good elements, but it's not really a movie that I can recommend. So I'll leave my general thoughts at that. Uh, okay, Don, what are your general thoughts on the movie? Okay, um, well, I'll be a little bit more generous than Venom. Um, I wholeheartedly cannot e- equivocate the slow burn aspect to this one. This thing is a drag. Um, I mean, would it kill you guys to inject a little energy into your performances? I mean, you know, move the set pieces along just a little bit quicker. Mm-hmm. I, I don't mind, um, you know, I, I don't mind the build up to this. I, I would just want everybody to emote with a little bit more um, energy or urgency or something. Uh, there's no reason for this thing to be an hour and 45 minutes. Um, yeah, that, that, that's, what, um, you know, one of the, the, the big things here. Um, the other thing is, is uh, uh, for both of you guys, what the fuck is the actual name of the cults and what they're worshiping? I never caught that. Uh, I don't think they ever give it to us. They they call the cult just that family. Yeah, uh, that's my thing. The dancing yeah, family, yeah. Yeah, the, the, that family, and um, I, I think they worship, you know, that thing in the ground, which um, I think that's as much as I caught. Because, um, yeah, uh, I, I think that's uh, another big thing is that uh, we don't actually get much of anything about the cult or what they're actually doing there. But other than that, I I, I, I did like it a little bit more than Venom did. Um, again, his sentiments, this is the best we've gotten so far, is um, grossly underestimating the lack of quality so far. Um, because I, I do agree this is the best we've gotten, and uh, yikes. Uh, not looking forward, not looking forward to the rest of the year by any stretch. Um, but yeah, I, I, I did enjoy aspects of it just like he did. Um, in theory, the premise of the cult is fine. I, you know, again, don't know what they're called or what they're worshiping, but um, the, 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 Build up to what's going on here is workable. Um, not, you know, it's not the best we've ever gotten, but it's workable. Um, I enjoy the the family relationship, but again, um, you know, I, I understand your wife died, but get over it, dude. Fuck a little, fuck a woman and get over it. Um, you know, move the story along just a little bit. I mean, jeez. Um, but. 
uh, you know, again, there's enough in the periphery to, you know, say that there's something going on. But, yeah, it's all about the final 20, 25-ish minutes to this where it's all about the revenge and, uh, you know, him taking on the, the, the various aspects of the cult together. Um, that's really where this one works. Um, I, I think it's, uh, you know, easily the best part of this, uh, you know, by a landslide. Um, again, not a huge fan of the ending like Venom is. Uh, I, I don't know what's going on. Um, I, again, you know, not knowing anything about the cult or what they're about is a huge, huge factor here because that would probably explain what is happening. Um, you know, again, just, you know, ending things and saying cosmic horror ooga booga is not really my way of going about it, but yeah, I, I, I can't say this is good. Um, you know, it falls in line with a lot of, uh, indie fair that I, you know, I, I watch on my own, just, you know, for my own, you know, show or volition or, you know, whatever, but yeah, uh, Slow pace does hinder a lot of what's going on here. Um, not knowing what's going on, it hinders a lot of what's going on here. Uh, your mileage for the slow burn may vary, but yeah, again, it doesn't really get interesting until just about an hour into this. And it, it's not that, you know, it's balls to the walls from there, but that's really where the, the main part of the, the film comes into play. And yeah, uh, Again, if we knew more of what was happening, I would probably like it a little bit more. But, yeah, the, this year's not really been all that great. And uh, the fact that this is the best there is doesn't give me high hopes. But um, I, I liked it more than Venom, but I, I, I definitely echo the, most of his sentiments with it. So, yeah, I guess that's um, pretty much it for me. All right, so... <laughs> Definitely too long. The running time was too long for this story. Um, I think, like, the basic premise and setup is okay. I mean, I'm a sucker for a good cult movie, too. The problem is, like, this cult was just, like, way too generic, and we didn't really get too much detail about what they were all about. Like, like Venom said, there was, like, a vague kind of reference to, like, Lovecraft-type stuff going on with... Oh, look, there's purple lights in the sky. Um, now, I will say, like, the last 25-ish minutes when when they kind of just say, okay, uh, what's been done to our main characters is done, and now we're going to kind of get a revenge flick. I do think if you could watch those 25 minutes in a vacuum, almost as like a revenge thriller short, maybe you'd be like, oh, okay, uh, this is kind of cool, because I think most of all the good aspects of the movie – take place there and it's actually pretty good like for for how low the budget was on this as you can see like through the preceding hour the fact that like the last one times were actually pretty good like the look of um i guess the reborn or born again uh entity i'll try to keep it that vague i thought the look was cool um i thought uh some of the revenge stuff was all right uh practical effects like venom said um all that's good the problem is i don't know how many people are gonna last long enough to get to that that that's that's the issue a, a movie like this you make it like you know 80 minutes you trim it down to that i think maybe people will stay on board at least to get to the the better stuff but at 
an hour and 40 minutes. I, I don't know. It just felt like too long. Um, yeah. It's there was just like Venom said. I, I I think you mentioned that if we weren't doing it for fresh cuts, you might have turned it off. I actually it took me a couple times to get to the end just because uh, I would get distracted because th- there just wasn't a lot of interesting, not a lot of interesting things going on to get to the last uh, final act or final finale of the movie. Um, so. That's all. I mean, my only recommendation is if people randomly come across this on Tubi, uh, I would say try to hold on for, you know, the last 20 minutes and maybe you'll be rewarded. And and, bring coffee. Yeah, bring Ah. coffee. uh, And I guess uh, look for funny things that happen in low-budget movies because other than that, yeah, it's going to be a struggle. Uh, So I guess my general thoughts will be left at that. Uh, Venom... I'll kick it back to you. Yeah, this movie definitely could have been a segment in an anthology. I mean, you, you could have made this like a 25 to 30 minute segment and it probably would have worked a lot better. You literally could have started it right. And I'm going to be ambiguous here, but the scene where the old man rapes the girl, you literally could have started the movie right there. We Right there, you already know there's a cult involved because there's literally women around while the old man rapes this woman. Um, there's a cult leader there, blah, blah, blah. We don't need the dead wife. Like, all the stuff with the car accident and the dead wife, get it right the fuck out of there. We don't need it. Hell, we don't even need much of an introduction to the brother. Literally start the movie at that point where I said, and then just introduce the brother as, you know, just a concerned brother who's looking for his missing sister. And then, bam, this movie is then about an hour and 15 minutes. It would have been a lot tighter, and you wouldn't have wasted so much time with the cult stuff because they they spend so much time that you're figuring that there's going to be a very cult-like ending. And there kind of is, but it's really more of a, a revenge plot with a slight supernatural uh, tinge to it. Well, maybe more than slight. Um, so yeah, uh, an hour and 45 minutes, completely unnecessary. Did you notice too, that this movie had a lot of shots that just lingered like maybe three, four five seconds longer than it needed to. But like the camera would just linger on a shot of like two people just standing there staring at each other. They could have cut it off two, three seconds earlier, but they just let it go. And I'm looking for some artistic reason why this is being done. I'm like, why all these long, lingering shots? And by the time the movie's over, it's like, oh, they were just padding the runtime because it's the only purpose I can find for some of these long shots. They don't have any real artistic value. They don't add anything to the story. They're just long shots for no, and and of course I mean long in duration, not long in distance. I'll clear. I'm sure most of you figured that out, but I'll clarify myself anyway. So yeah, not a whole hell of a lot to like here. I don't even really have a whole lot to get into with this one. As much as I wanted to like our main character, Will, by the time, you know, when the revenge part of it started, because I'm right there with Don. For the first half of the movie, I just hated Will. Not necessarily because he's kind of a wishy-washy because of the death of his wife. Listen, I'm married. I know what it would be like to, you know, or not that I know what it would be like, but I, I, I would probably be a blubbering idiot just like Will if that situation happened to me as well. So... But we're watching a horror movie. We're not watching a guy's life play out. 
So with this being a horror movie, I agree with Don. Move the story along. There was no need to drag all this. And, you know, the, like the whole funeral scene was pointless. Basically, it, it's the scene where we, we were introduced to his sister and his mother. And, and in their infinite wisdom, they literally leave him alone. On the day of his fucking wife's funeral, they all leave him alone in his house. I'm like, are you kidding me? Do you not expect this guy to kill himself? I mean, he very obviously doesn't have much in his life. He doesn't have a job. I mean, because we never see him go to a job. He he seems more like his, his wife was the breadwinner, and he was, like, taking care of the property, doing some hunting, blah, blah, blah. Like, he was the outdoorsman of the couple, whereas she was the business type. But just, man... I don't know. Uh, I'm trying to find positive things to pull out of this movie. And aside from the gore and the kills and maybe the look of Will, you know, like Mike mentioned, the look of Will at the end of the movie, kind of cool. But at the same time, it, it's too few and far between. You know what this movie could have used? A fucking cold open. Like, you, you can't give us a, a horror movie that has 30 to 40 minutes of nothing at the beginning. Like, you got to give us something, anything. Like, they should have given us um, the scene uh, with the sacrifice, you know, the only sacrifice that they actually perform in the movie. That should have been the cold open. Give me that as the cold open. And then we could skip a little bit of development as the movie goes along, uh, you know, because we are, we're already aware that there's a cult. We, we'll already know who what the members of the cult look like, unless you want to just keep it ambiguous. You know, do, do the ritual as the cold open and keep all the cult members off screen or all the cult members uh, faces off screen so that, you know, it's still kind of a surprise when we find out they're in the cult later. But, oh, God, it just you can't give us 30 to 40 minutes of character development in a horror movie. In a drama, in a comedy, it's a little bit more acceptable. But on a horror film, I want to see horror. And there's nothing horrific about watching a guy mourn his dead wife. I guess there is mildly horrific things about it, but not enough to make a movie around it. So, so basically, yeah, if you guys don't have anything else you want to add, we will go into our very quick walkthrough. I can't imagine this will be a long one. Uh, by all means. Yeah. <laughs> Go ahead. Uh, all right. Uh, our movie opens with a car accident. We are introduced to Will. Well, he's in his car. It, it's post-accident. We don't know. This is another thing that fucking bothered me about the movie is that Will continues to blame himself for this accident, but we never find out the circumstances of the accident. We never find out what caused the accident. Was it vehicular failure, a flat tire? Was Will drunk? Nothing. He just keeps saying it's his fault with no context. And you can't fucking do that, directors. You cannot do that. you got to give us some context as to why he's blaming himself. Anyway, um, like I said, the accident just occurred. We don't see the accident. The movie starts, and they're already in the smashed-up car. He's got a gash on his forehead. He obviously was driving. His wife is in the passenger seat, and she's all tore up. She's got gashes on her neck, multiple large gashes on her face. Um, it's very obvious that she's about to die, which, of course, she does. She dies right there at the scene of the accident. And then we get our opening credit sequence. After that, it is the funeral. But we don't actually get to see the funeral. It's the day of the funeral. And you know this because... 
the three people in the scene are all dressed in black. Will is dressed in all black with a black tie, so obviously it's the day of the funeral. And we're introduced to, uh, like I said, his sister and his mother. His mother seems like she's kind of a, how can I put it, like a cold bitch, if you will, like a very no-nonsense tell you exactly what it is to your face. Like, she doesn't sugarcoat things. And because of that attitude, um, Will's sister, uh, Katie, Katie, right? Yeah. Uh, Will, or is that the wife? No, I'm sorry, Natalie, right? Was it Natalie or Katie? Who the fuck was the sister? I forgot already. Oh, well. Uh, <laughs> that Which tells you a lot about the movie. Looks younger? Which one on IMDb uh, looks younger? Uh, Natalie looks younger. Probably her. You know what? I think Katie is the sister. Now that I look at it, yeah, I look closely at it. Sorry, folks, I got three screens on my on my desk, so <laughs> sometimes the, the, the image I'm looking at is way on the other end of my desk. Anyway, all right, so Natalie is the wife. Um, Katie is his sister. Now, we're introduced to Katie and Will's mother while they're arguing. Basically, Will's mother is concerned that he may lose the house, um, that he may not be able to keep up the mortgage payments. Um, Katie gets pissed off at her mother because she's only thinking about business and she's not thinking about the feelings of her son who just lost his wife. We then find out that mom didn't even like, uh, Will's wife that much. Um, he, she even says, oh, maybe he can trade up now. Like the day of the fucking funeral, this woman says that maybe he can trade up now. So obviously, you know, you, you get an idea of what mom is like, just the cold hearted bitch. And, of course, the sister is still a little bit more compassionate, a little bit more caring. But even in her infinite wisdom, she still left Will alone the day of his wife's funeral, which I'm incredibly pissed off at. How do you leave him alone and then expect him to not kill himself that night? I mean, that's just irresponsible. So, anyway, uh, that night, uh, you know, or, or the next day, I should say, not that night. The next day, Will goes out hunting and um, he finds a hole on his property. And when I say hole, I mean a, not quite a crater, but a pretty, but bigger than a well. Uh, a pretty big fucking hole on his property. Um, it looks like it's bottomless. He looks down into the, the hole. Uh, all he can see is black. But he thinks he hears voices. And this is after he's already had a couple of different hallucinations of his wife blaming him for the car accident, blah, blah, blah. Um, and then above the hole is there are these almost Blair Witch-type stick figures and, and, like, dream catchers and different iconography made out of sticks and twigs hanging above the hole in the ground. Um, Will starts staring into the hole. He, you know, his, his, his audio, his hearing starts getting echoey, almost like he's contemplating jumping into the hole. Who would blame him? He doesn't really have much left in this world. Um, and then suddenly he's stopped by a neighbor named Fred. Um, Fred is an older gentleman who lives down the road from Will, and he lets him know that, you know, if you ever need anything, yeah. Well, um, Fred knows who Will is. He heard the story about the car accident and his wife dying. He gives his condolences, lets him know if he ever needs anything, come see me. And then Will starts asking about the hole in the ground. And this is when Fred starts giving a little bit of lore about the local area, saying that, you know, there have been rituals that have been performed here, that um, this hole has been here since before the Christians, you know, had this land. And that when the Christians, or, or before 
um, pagans were basically putting their worst people into that hole. Rapists, murderers, pedophiles, people like that. Once they were found guilty, um, their execution was to be dumped into that hole. And the pagans believed that it was like a portal to hell. Basically, it would take them directly to hell for their crimes while they were alive. Um, and obviously, since the Christians kind of took over, their fear kind of got the best of them. So now they leave that area alone. Like all the hardcore Christians left that area alone and didn't touch it. Um, but then, you know, certain people in the area started going to the hole, chanting there. Um, you know, people were basically saying that they heard voices and that they heard commands and things like that. And this is before we even find out that there's any kind of cult or anything. Um, obviously, it's a cult film, so we're all already aware. But, yeah, no mention of a cult at this point. <clears throat> so after Will, uh, or while Will's out hunting, um, his mother shows up at his house. She is looking for him. She's calling him out, calling out his name. He's not in the house. Um, she's very obviously alone. Um, but then right before the scene ends, she basically... Like, the camera's looking down the hallway, just like The Exorcist 3, and we see Will's mom come out of one bedroom and go into another bedroom across the hall, and then, of course, bam, somebody follows her into the second room. We get the audio sting, blah, 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 very reminiscent of The Exorcist 3. So, um, when Will comes home, he doesn't find anything unusual. Uh, mom's car is gone, so he doesn't know that she was there or that, you know, anybody was there. He just kind of comes home and rests and blah, blah, blah. Uh, the next day, uh, sister Katie decides to come visit him. It might not be the next day because time passes in this movie and we're not really given much information because I thought only a couple of days had gone by, but then a character mentions that it's been months since the accident. And that's when I realized that Will's beard was long too. Like Will's, Will's beard isn't very long during the car accident, but then months later it is. That's the only way to really tell that any time has passed is his hair and beard have gotten longer. <laughs> you guys notice he kind of looked like Rob Zombie <laughs> after that, like after his hair and beard yeah. got longer. Yeah, he totally looked like Rob especially, Zombie. Especially and especially later on when he was like kind of covered in blood on his face. Exactly, and he had that headband on. I mean, Jesus, yeah, Rob Zombie yeah. personified. <laughs> I think I think when I was watching it too, I like tried to make a mental note about saying like. Okay, I guess part of the cult ritual is turning the guy into Rob Zombie. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. All right, so um, that evening, uh, the same day that mom goes missing, uh, or maybe not the same day, it's probably a couple of days later because she is aware already that mom is missing and that no one's heard from her in a little while, she decides to go and visit Will. She stops at the local gas station in Will's town um, just because, you know, she desperately needs gas to make the rest of the trip. Uh, she ends up stopping at a very old-timey gas station with the with the old-time pumps, the tall, thin ones. She doesn't really know how to use it, so she goes in to ask the clerk for some help. <laughs> this is when we're introduced to, and I don't even remember this guy's name. I don't want to say what he is yet because it's a little early, but he's basically, he, he's let's just call him the gas station guy, uh, owner, operator, manager, clerk, whatever you want to go with. And he basically... He's in an he's having an argument with a young woman when Katie walks into the station. 
Um, the guy ends up pushing her away, and the, the mysterious woman ends up leaving and going to a house next door. Um, Katie uh, asks, you know, for help with the gas pump. Uh, the guy comes out, pumps her gas, blah, blah, blah. But then when she tries to give him a credit card, uh, he says, you know, they don't take plastic. You know, it's an old-time store. Um, she, unfortunately, doesn't have any cash, so they make an agreement that she's gonna that she'll leave, go see her brother, and then come back another day to pay for the gas that um, uh, that she owes him for. And by the way, <laughs> I mean, if if a movie was ever heavy-handed with their villain, it's this fucking movie. This guy has black eyes, and I'm not exaggerating, my friends. This fucking guy has black eyes. From the moment we first meet him in the gas station, I don't mean all black, like the black-eyed children or anything like that. I'm saying, like, his pupil and everything, it's just black. He he has, um, you you remember that, that guy, Robert Durst, who, you know, famously had a documentary about his murder? Um, he had black eyes, too. Same shit. The guy has fucking black eyes. So, yeah, a little heavy-handed with your villain in this one, guys. Anyway... Katie goes on her way. She ends up going uh, to Will's house, and it turns out uh, he's been arrested. Uh, she has to go to the police station to pick him up. Um, it turns out he got drunk and um, was basically walking home, and when one of the police officers stopped to question him, uh, he took a swing at the cop and ended up getting arrested. Uh, the cops, you know, being local cops, you know, just in this little shit town, they agree to let him go, uh, and Katie ends up going ahead and taking him home. That night, after Will goes to sleep, uh, Katie decides to take a walk in the woods. So she's walking around the woods, minding her own business. Suddenly, she hears chanting. She hears, like, chanting prayer, something in the distance. And she follows the noise, and she ends up back at the hole, the hole in the ground that Will had found uh, the day before. But this time what she sees is she sees all of the townsfolk, all of the townsfolk that we've seen up to this point are all in this cult. And then when the leader turns around, it's the gas station guy. It's the black eyed guy. He is the fucking cult leader. He is the one running this whole thing. And to Don's point earlier, they never really tell us who they're worshiping, what their end game is. Like, are they trying to resurrect a deity of some kind? Like, like literally there's no rhyme or reason to this whole thing. The only thing that we really find out about this cult is, um, well, I'm skipping ahead a little bit. Let me, I'll get back to that. So like I said, Katie finds the cult at the hole in the ground. Then she realizes that her mother is there. Her missing mother is there and she's tied up to a tree, still alive, still alive, you know, uh, doing well. Um, but then the cult leader walks up to her and says, you will be the first sacrifice of blah, 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 blah. And basically stabs her in the chest, pulls the knife down, opening a gigantic gash in the middle of her chest, reaches in and does the Temple of Doom, Kali Ma, pulls her heart, her still beating heart out of her chest, and then throws it into the pit, into the hole in the ground. Now, as soon as the heart goes into the hole, the sky turns purple. Like, literally, the sky starts having this weird purple and pink hue. You know, very color out of space. I know what their intention is. It's just a little lazy, in my opinion. Um, and then the scene just kind of ends. Well, no, uh, the scene ends when Katie trips over a branch. The cult sees that she's there. They give chase. She ends up going back to Will's house. 
Uh, by this point, Will has woken up. He splashed some water on his face. He's no longer hammered. Um, Katie walks in basically screaming, they killed mom, they killed mom, these people killed mom. And then when Will looks outside, the entire cult is just standing in his yard staring at him uh, through his front window. And then very similar to what we got from Jordan Peele's Us, when the four, when the doppelganger family was on the driveway and one of them makes a noise and they all split up and go their separate ways, that kind of happens again. Uh, the cult leader makes like an indication and then all the cultists kind of split and go set their separate ways. Obviously, they're going to attack Will's house from different directions. Uh, a couple of them end up getting into the house and while they're in the house, uh, the big one who's some kind of mongoloid, you know, his his face is kind of fucked up. His, he looks very Jason Voorhees, but with a hood on. Um, uh, basically is able to get the best of Will, is able to knock him out. He and his sister are both kidnapped and taken by the cult. When Will comes to, he is back at the hole in the ground. He's at the pit, and the cult is there, basically. Um, he's tied up. And the cult is basically, again, saying, okay, you're going to be our next sacrifice to blah, 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 and, you know, whatever. They end up stabbing him once in the stomach, and rather than killing him completely, which is their doom, uh, they stab him once and then throw him into the pit. I guess they assumed the pit was deep enough that he would just die from the fall after being stabbed, or at the very least, he would bleed out at the bottom of the pit. Um... At the same time, Katie comes to, and when she comes to, she is at the cult compound. She's at this big, beautiful house, very nicely decorated, um, and she's dressed in, like, white, like, a, you know, like a white, um, I, I hate to say cultist dress, but definitely something you would have seen out of Midsommar, you know, just that white, flowery outfit that cult members wear, and, um, and then the cult comes into the room. And what we see are multiple of the female cult members holding Katie down, and we notice that she's naked. Like, you don't, you don't notice it right away, but then after the camera kind of pans out, we see that she's, she's got a sheet over her, so we don't see anything, but she is naked. And uh, the cult leader then kind of um, makes the oldest fucking member of the cult. I mean, this guy is old. This guy's got to be in his 70s maybe older, <laughs> he is the one who is um, going to impregnate Katie. Um, he gets butt naked, and yes, unfortunately, we have to see naked old man, at least from behind. Um, you know, it's not quite hereditary where we're seeing, you know, full-on old people nudity, but we do see him approach Katie as she's naked and being held down by the other female cult members, so of course... You know, the old man basically plants his seed, if you will. And then in, um, uh, the, and then in the next scene, um, it is still the same night, and suddenly Will comes climbing out of the hole. Yeah, with a stab wound and everything, Will finds the, a way to get out of the hole. He gets out of the hole, realizes that his sister was taken, and basically 
walks to Fred's house, you know, the, the friendly guy that he met earlier in the movie, with an open knife wound, um, ba- barely able to walk, but he goes to Fred's house. Um, now, Fred is aware of this cult because, as it turns out, his daughter is a member of the cult. Apparently, he and his daughter are estranged. Um, from what we find out later in the movie, he was kind of an abusive, drunk, uh, you know, bad father, just not a very good father. She ended up leaving home, and she found the cult, and now she's a cult member. So they decide, um, basically, Fred, Fred decides, I don't really want to get into this because my daughter is a member of the cult. I know what you have to do, and I don't really want to be a part of it. So Fred basically sends Will on his way. Will then goes home grabs an axe, grabs a fucking magnum. This gun that he grabs is gnarly as hell. It's one of those loud-ass guns that'll take your head clean off from, like, 20 paces. It's a badass gun. Um, and basically, as he's there preparing, kind of, you know, doing the Rambo montage of, you know, gearing up, getting ready to get his revenge, uh, the image of his mother shows up. And at this point... Um, He knows that his mother has been killed, but he didn't see it himself. So uh, Katie saw it. So he ends up seeing an image of his mother. She then starts ranting and raving at him. You know, you're such a waste. You're always doing the wrong thing. You know, I'm glad your wife died. Like just really nasty shit like that. And then he takes a shot at her. She, of course, disappears because she's not really there. It's probably just a manifestation of his guilt kind of rearing its ugly head. Same thing with the hallucination that he had earlier in the movie where his his dead wife was accusing him, saying that the accident was his fault, again, with no fucking context. I don't know if the accident was Will's fault. I honestly thought by the end of the movie we were going to find out that the cult caused the car accident. But nope, uh, the, the, these, uh, these screenwriters aren't that clever, apparently. So anyway, um, Katie... Uh, I believe it's like the next day or maybe it's the same day. I'm not sure. But Katie is then prepared for a wedding. She is dressed in a wedding dress, like full gown and everything. I'm assuming she's either going to marry the guy who raped her or the cult leader. I assume the cult leader. That's usually how it works. Um, And at the same time, Will has arrived at the compound himself. Um, After visiting the gas station, though, he goes to the gas station first and the and as it happens, the old guy that raped uh, Katie is working the gas station that night. It's not the cult leader. He grabs the old man because he recognizes him because he remembers everybody that was at the meeting when they when he was stabbed and thrown in the hole. So he remembers that the old man is a part of the cult. He puts a gun up to his head and tells him, "Take me to my take me to my sister. Where is she?" And that's when he starts saying, "Oh, but she's now impregnated with the seed of." love or something along those lines that basically implying that she's now pregnant with, you know, some kind of, you know, potentially demon or something. I don't know, whatever. Um, but, um, yeah, this cult obviously hasn't been going very long because there's only one baby in the whole cult. So they haven't been, uh, kidnapping women and impregnating them for all that long because there's only one baby in the whole fucking movie. So yeah, go figure. Uh, so it's a new cult that we're dealing with. Anyway, 
Why, when Will gets to the compound, uh, or excuse me, I, we're still at the gas station. Um, he basically tells the old man, tell me, you know, take me to my wife. At one point, the old man just drops his flashlight, drops to his knees, and just starts praying um, to his deity, you know, the, the evil thing that they're all worshiping. Um, Will finally just gets sick of it and fucking pulls the trigger and blows his head clean off, which is such a satisfying kill, knowing that that's the guy that raped Katie. Will doesn't know this, obviously. The kill would have been even more satisfying if Will had known. But yeah, Will just killed the guy because he was a cult member who wasn't cooperating. Now, like I said, Will has a fucking magnum. It is the loudest gun in the world. And after he kills the old man, someone comes out of his house, and it's, a, it's like a younger woman. He grabs her, basically puts the gun up to her head, and does this. basically goes through the same procedure again, tries to get her to um, take her to where um, the, the cult is, the compound. She actually does end up taking him to the compound, but... Right when they get to the compound, she makes she she lunges at him to try to get the gun away from him. <clears throat> Excuse me, tries to tries to get the gun away from him, and then ends up getting shot herself. So that's two cult members down at this point. Um, now, obviously, again, we're talking about a fucking magnum. So everyone in the house hears the gun go off when he kills the woman. So uh, the cult leader sends out the big guy, uh, the big mongoloid guy who attacked Will earlier in the movie. This is where Will's uh, decision-making really fucking bothers me. The biggest, strongest member of the cult comes out of the house, a guy who has already bested you physically once already, and you have in your hands a gun and a hatchet. Which fucking weapon are you going to use to take this guy down? I think most people would say the gun. Nope. In this idiot's infinite wisdom, he decides to try to take the biggest fucking member of the cult out with a hatchet. And what ends up happening? He buries the hatchet in the guy's head, thinking, oh, that's it. That's all it's going to take. And the guy unceremoniously pulls the hatchet out of his own head and then attacks Will with it. This dude's head is spurting blood, literally spurting. It's like a little fountain. And he's attacking Will. He finally ends up getting the best of Will. He gets him on the ground. He straddles him. He raises up the axe like he's going to bury it in Will's face. And we hear a single gunshot ring out. We, we see blood. And when when the big guy's body falls down, we see Fred behind him. Yes, Fred made the right decision, decided to come out to help Will with the cult. Uh, so that's what, one, two, three cult members gone at this point now. Um, now, at this point, uh, Katie is in the cult compound, and she hears the gunshots. Everybody hears the gunshots. Even the cult leader hears them. Everybody hears them. Everybody's aware that shit's about to go down. Katie... Um, and, and this is where I start to applaud Katie. She definitely has a sense of survival. She's uh, locked in a bedroom by herself with her wedding gown on. She decides to take a mirror off the wall and slam it onto the ground loud enough so that the cult members downstairs will hear it, and they end up sending someone up to check on her. Of course, she takes a shard of the broken glass from the mirror, and as soon as one of the female cult members walks into her room to check on her, Wham! She buries the fucking glass shard right into her neck, pretty much killing her instantly. She bleeds out, falls over, and dies. Um, at the same time that this is happening, Fred, you know, the, the friendly older neighbor, 
finds his daughter. He walks into the room that his daughter is staying in and he sees his daughter and instantly has an emotional moment. You can tell that they haven't seen each other for a while. And the daughter seems like she's right on board too. Like she starts to cry. She starts to apologize. I'm sorry, daddy, blah, blah, blah. And yeah, (laughs) Fred puts down his shotgun and goes to hug his daughter while he's hugging his daughter his daughter, and this is his real daughter, mind you, not like, you know, some step or adopted thing. While they're embraced, while they're in the hug, she pulls a knife from his belt, stabs him in the side. He falls backwards into a chair, and then she buries the knife um, right into his heart, right into his chest, right into his heart, killing Fred instantly. Now Fred is dead on the chair. At that same time that Fred's daughter is killing Fred, Katie walks into the room, still dressed in her full wedding gown, and sees that, you know, this woman just killed Fred. She doesn't know who Fred is, mind you. She never met him. She just sees that there's a dead guy in the chair and one of the cult members standing above him. And then, um, the uh, excuse me, uh, Fred's daughter makes the mistake of looking down at the shotgun that Fred put down when he first walked into the room. Katie notices this. She then looks down, sees the shotgun, instantly grabs the shotgun and kills Fred's daughter. So that's that's another cult member down, just completely just dead. Um, Let's see. At this point, Katie is now with the shotgun. She is cut off. And again, I, I give Katie so much credit for this third act because when she first walked out of that room with the full wedding dress on, I'm literally screaming at her, take that fucking dress off. Are you kidding? You can't run away from anybody in a long wedding gown. It's going to get caught on something, blah, blah, blah. Well, after, after Katie kills Will's daughter and the other girl um, in her room that came up to check on her, she does the right thing. She grabs the knife out of Fred's chest and starts cutting uh, the hem off of the wedding dress, cuts the sleeves off it, and now she looks like fucking Samara Weaving in Ready or Not, you know, with the badass wedding dress. Um, no sneakers on. Samara had those awesome chucks on, but uh, this girl's barefoot. And she's now walking around the house with a shotgun in her hand um, with a wedding gown on. And instantly I'm like, God damn it. Like, I, I already see it happening that she's going to accidentally shoot her brother. Friends, the one thing I'll give this movie, aside from its effects and kills, is that they didn't go with that shitty ending, because that would have pissed me off. No, she does not accidentally shoot her brother while going around the house. Um, the other male member of the cult, there's only like three male members of the cult. Most of them are female or older. So three young men, and everyone else is female or older. So another one of the younger guys, you know, kind of like a lieutenant, if you will, of the cult leader, comes out. To, to go after Katie. He's able to, to disarm Katie. He chokes her. He does the Michael Myers and lifts her off the ground. So he's choking her while lifting her off the ground. And then at that moment, um, well, after a few long moments, this is another one of those shots that lingered for way too long. Like he, this guy was choking Katie for what felt like a good 10 seconds before finally Will shows up and grabs the hatchet and just starts and, and hits uh, hits the guy in the back of the head. As soon as the guy falls, Will gets on top of him and fucking just destroys his head. His head is basically a stain on the porch by the time Will is done with him. 
So at this point, Will and Katie are reunited. Um, Will wants to leave. Will's like, okay, there's a car at the end of the driveway. Let's get out of here. Uh, and like I said, don't forget, Will doesn't know what they've done to Katie at this point. This is the first time they've, they've seen each other since they were kidnapped. Katie decides, no, I'm not leaving here. I'm not leaving anyone alive here. You don't know what they did to me. Fuck this place. I want them all dead. And then she tells Will, if you're not going to help me, I'm going to do it alone. And then, of course, Will does the superhero thing and says, oh, no, you're not. Pulls out his gun, and then they both go into the house looking for any remaining cult members left. Um, when they finally get to, like, the center sanctum of the mansion, they finally get to the cult leader, and he's in this big empty room, and he's butt naked, and he's chanting. Uh, once again, chanting. When he notices that Katie and Will are both there, he gets surprised. From Will, because obviously he threw Will in the pit, thinking he would never see him again. And here's Will, alive and well, and pointing a fucking magnum at him. Um, and then Katie is there, and obviously he's disappointed with Katie, because it seemed like, you know, they were going to be wed that night, and blah, blah, blah. But now that plan has gone to shit. So he just starts spouting off more religious garbage, um, more paganistic shit. Um, at one point, he tells Katie that you're tethered to your brother. You should kill him and be free, be free of him and be free of all ties to this world. Um, eventually, one of the cult members, one of the female cult members, unfortunately, is able to sneak up behind Will and slit his throat like from ear to ear. Just a big ass slit. Will goes down, dies fairly quickly. Um, and at the same time, as soon as Will's body falls down... Katie grabs the shotgun and kills the, the cult member that cut his throat. Then she goes to shoot the cult leader and the cult is able, or the cult leader is able to get the gun, the shotgun away from her, throws it on the ground and then steps on it to prevent her from grabbing it. And literally um, at that point, the cult leader is like, you know, all, all of our, you know, all of our people are here to witness the miracle. And that's when we notice that, uh, the house is basic, or the room that they're in, which is pretty much just glass walls, is surrounded by cult members. They're all just staring in, kind of watching the festivities as they happen. So, at this point, the cult leader is um, stepping on the gun, preventing Katie from picking it up. They're going back and forth. He's talking to her about how, see, you're free now. You don't have to worry about your brother. You're not tethered to him anymore. You can do what you want. But then at that exact moment, as the cult leader is saying that, Will, uh, Will's body fucking sits up like the Undertaker. Uh, that's for the uh, my WWE fans out there. Um, if you remember when the Undertaker's down and it looks like he's out and he would sit right the fuck up like a Michael Myers type thing, that's exactly what Will does. Slit throat and all. He sits up straight, looks directly at the cult leader, and that's when we realize that Will's eyes are completely white. There's no pupil, no nothing. It's all white. So, I mean, you could take this as a possession situation. You could take it as the deity that they worship wasn't happy with the cult leader because basically what happens is Will gets up and then he floats over. And what's one of the cooler shots in the movie? We see Will float over to the cult leader and start caressing his face. 
Um, cause like I said, Will's eyes are wided over. He's not actually looking at anything. He's looking straight ahead the entire time. The cult leader is on the ground on his knees. Will walks up to him, kind of starts to caress his face and then unceremoniously jams both of his thumbs into his eyes, completely blinding the cult leader. Now, I don't know. I don't know if it's crazy, but I would think that would kill someone. Like, you're literally jamming your thumbs into their eyes. I mean, you, you have to be touching brain at one point. But somehow the cult leader survives. He's still alive. Um, his eyes are completely just bled out, uh, poked out. And uh, basically, Katie then picks up Will's magnum, shoots the cult leader dead. Cult leader is now dead. But Will is still standing there, um, you know, possessed or whatever the fuck, undead, whatever you want to go with. He then walks up to Katie and starts to caress her face the same way that he did the cult leader. He starts to kind of put his thumbs on top of her eyes, but then he kind of stops at the last second, continues caressing her face. And like I said, I don't know if he just realizes who it is um, because he then decides not to punish her or do anything bad to her. He actually sticks his hand out like he's offering his hand to her to help her get up. They get up, they walk up the stairs hand in hand. When they get to the top of the stairs, uh, right before the, e the exit of the mansion, they both turn around, possessed Will or demon Will, whatever you want to go with, and Katie, they both turn around and they see all the cult members on their knees bowing to Will. So apparently Will or whatever is in possession of Will's body right now is what this, this cult was worshiping. But again, like Don mentioned earlier, no name, no name of the pit, no name of the deity, just nothing, just a lot of ambiguous information, sometimes no information. But if we do get information, it's mildly ambiguous. And that's pretty much where the movie ends. Will and Katie are standing at the top of the stairs, uh, Will still with his eyes whited over, his throat slit, you know, undead Will. And the cult is sitting there bowing to him, very similar to the end of Hereditary, when, you know, when the whole cult was bowing to Alex, who was now possessed by Payman, or Pyman, however you pronounced it. So, yeah, there you go, folks. I, I, I called this the hole in the ground, too because of the obvious uh, MacGuffin of the movie being the hole in the ground. But goddamn, this movie wishes it was the hole in the ground. The hole in the ground is ten times the movie this is. But like I said, there's elements of a lot of different movies in here. We see elements of The Void, of The Wicker Man, um, different cult movies like that. But ultimately, this movie pales in comparison to any of those. So... Like I said, if you're a hardcore fan of cult movies and you actually are okay with slow burns that end in a fucking massive, you know, rampage of blood and gore, this might be the movie for you. But if it's going to be hard to get through an hour of just slow, dull storytelling, uh, I would not recommend this one. Or just watch the last half hour, honestly. <laughs> you know what I mean? Uh, watch the last half hour and see all the great carnage that Will and his sister, you know, levy on this cult. It's it's pretty gnarly, but ultimately it's not enough to save the movie. It's not enough for me to call this a good movie. You know what I mean? It's an okay movie. It's a movie with a good third act, but the first two acts are too dull to really justify the runtime. And, you know, like I, as I already mentioned multiple times, by the time you get to the third act and all the cool shit starts happening, most people have already lost interest. And, 
you know, they're just kind of watching the kills for the sake of the kills. It's not like they actually care about the context of those kills. So, yeah, that's it, folks. The Burned Over District 2024. Uh, watch at your own discretion. That's it for me. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, with that said, uh, what else can we hear you uh, on that's not talking about the Burned Over District? <laughs> Sorry, sorry, my headphones, like, died there for a second. <laughs> oh. Uh, yeah, just uh, let everyone know where else you can be heard, where you'll be talking about movies probably better than the one we talked about tonight. Oh, that's almost every show I do. Anyway. <laughs> <laughs> um, yes, latest episode of uh, No More Room in Hell presents Creature Comforts. That's episode number 22, where we looked at 1986's Raw Head Rex. That is now available. Go ahead and check that out. Um all of our shows are also available on YouTube, if you'd rather check them out on YouTube or on your favorite podcast catcher, go ahead and uh, find them there. Um, and that's probably it. We are scheduled to record the main show uh, tomorrow. Uh, <laughs> we have we have started calling this episode the uh, the Cursed Hammer Horror episode because <laughs> I think the first time we were going to do this episode was, what, in November? Something like end of November or something, and yeah, it's, it's just gotten postponed and postponed and postponed. Um, always with valid reasons, though. It's not like any of us are flakes and just you know kind of no show up. You know, uh, we are responsible and we do tell each other when we can't record. Thankfully, but yeah, fingers crossed. The main show gets recorded tomorrow. We will be looking at a couple of Hammer horror films, and our friend. Don and Nelly uh, from Fresh Cuts, right here at Fresh Cuts, will be joining us for the main show. So we're going to have the whole No More Room in Hell family together for the first time in a little while anyway, at least since our commentary, since our last commentary. So that ought to be fun. And that's pretty much it for me. Like I said, I've, I've just been dealing with so much life stuff right now. I don't really have the time to podcast too much more than – you know, uh, once a month with uh, the main show and, and uh, Creature Comforts and then weekly with Fresh Cuts. Yeah, life really kicked my ass in 2023, folks. So <laughs> pray for Mr. Venom that he gets a better 2024 because it hasn't started out well. <laughs> That's it for me. All right. What about you, Don? Yeah. Um, like you mentioned, uh, the latest Creature Comforts, uh, which uh, was a lot of fun. Um, fingers crossed we get to do this hammer thing because I, I don't know if I can re have the time to rewatch them again because I'm just about on the verge <laughs> of forgetting what they're about. Um, uh, yeah, I'm really going to be running on fumes for that one tomorrow. Um, but, uh, yeah, uh, you know, hopefully we can get this thing in while I still can remember what they're about. Uh, the latest episode of uh, the Horror Countdown, which uh, at the moment is, um, yeah, the the latest episode, uh, if I can just pull up what it is, because it's been so long since we've done this, and I don't remember what it, what it is, um, but uh, the latest episode was um, Australian Horror, uh, that's what it was, okay, Um so yeah, I had a uh, friend of mine who uh, lives over in Australia. We looked at um, our top ten choices over there, which uh, was a lot of fun, um, including a brief uh, return of Dodongo and Ellie, which uh, was quite a surprise. <laughs> um, inside joke for those of you that uh, remember that, and I'm definitely glad you guys did. 
But, uh, yeah, other than that, uh, just a few other guest spots, uh, tit for tat recording, um, with, uh, horror countdown guests that, um, have yet to be released. But I am told that one is, uh, in the works and, uh, should be released very, very soon. So, uh, I'm definitely glad to, uh, get that out there and talk about that one because, uh, I've been holding on to a juicy one for a while and, uh, it's just about time to let loose. So, um, yeah, uh, hopefully next time I'll be able to talk about that. But otherwise, uh, yeah, that's um, pretty much it for me. All right. So for me, I actually did record half an episode of a guest spot until my own life uh, family-related emergency came up, and I had to cut it short, and we'll be continuing the recording of that. That was actually a spot I did with Cut to the Chase where we talked people or the people under the stairs and we were going to talk about Poor Things, the movie that Dan and Lacey had just seen. I actually saw it late last year when it opened. But uh, as people know, a lot of times at this time of the year, right before the Oscars, they they re-release a lot of the independent movies that might have only played at the indie theaters initially. They throw them into the multiplexes. So, like, it, it's a good opportunity, actually for people that wanted to see movies that maybe didn't come to their city or had a small viewing window. Uh, a lot of them are there, including poor things. But uh, we we got through about like half of people under the stairs, and then I had to step away. And uh, so we'll be picking that up probably in the next week. It's going to be a tough – to record anything other than uh, our main show is tough this weekend because with Super Bowl coming up, like I got plans, and I'm sure most people have plans. So – Probably next week I'll be back to like a normal free schedule, but so there's that, and then uh, the main show like crossing our fingers about tomorrow, and that's about it for me. Uh, as far as fresh cuts, uh, interesting. We actually have two opportunities for two twenty twenty four to give us something good this weekend. Uh, it's one of those weird occurrences where for like what two three weeks straight no theatrical release, and then. We get two on the same weekend. I think we are going with, uh, is it Out of Darkness or Out of the Dark? What, uh, what's the exact title, Venom? Do you remember? Out of uh, Darkness. Yeah, it's, it's Out of Darkness. It opens this Friday. Oh, tomorrow, actually. Same day as Lisa Frankenstein. Um, we kind of made an executive decision because ex uh, Lisa Frankenstein is probably the larger movie to open this weekend, at least the one with more notoriety. But um, and, and I don't watch trailers, of course, so after reading the synopsis of both movies, Out of Darkness just sounded way more interesting. It's actually set in the Bronze Age, I believe, so it's, it's basically cavemen dealing with a supernatural entity, which just sounds way more interesting than uh, Warm Bodies 2, which <laughs> it, it, maybe it's a bad indictment, uh, but... From what I've seen of, of Lisa Frankenstein, it looks like Warm Bodies, too, to me. And I did not like Warm Bodies, so I'm Man, not I'm ultra really excited. Hoping, I'm <laughs> hoping it's Jennifer's body, too, and not Warm Bodies, too, because I did yeah. like Jennifer's body. But yeah. but yeah. Uh, either way, it is a Di Diablo Cody movie, so it's probably, like, if you're familiar with her style. Uh, I, I saw the trailer. It looks interesting enough, but... Um, I don't know. So not, you know, with horror comedies, it's it can be a fine line. But yeah, I'll, the other one seems more straight horror. And there's a, be, depending on how open my Saturday is, I might pull a double duty and see them. But the thing is, if yeah, there's still nothing next week, then maybe we can do the other one. But uh, we'll figure that out. But definitely, 
uh, this kind of next episode is Out of the Darkness. So yep. uh, look for that probably sooner in the week than we recorded this one. And yeah. other than that, uh, that's all I got. You guys got anything before we get out of here? Hey. Anybody hiring? <laughs> oh my god, it's it's going on three months now, man. I'm getting desperate. I'm gonna start applying to Target and shit soon. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Right. A fifty year old man working at Target. Yeah, that's fucking impressive. Sheesh, yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, in that case, that's gonna do it for this episode of Fresh Cuts. Thanks everybody for listening. We will catch you in a handful of days with our next episode. Let's say bye to our listeners. Later. Adios, amigos. I got nothing clever to say, so I'm just saying bye. <laughs> yeah, I guess beware of the purple light in the sky. That's unexplained, I guess. <laughs> uh, peace.